Greetings! My name is Alana Lewandowski, and I am a contemplative roots songwriter and recording artist from Treaty 2 territory in Manitoba, Canada. You're currently listening to Sunday Song and Rumination, a radio and podcast show that features some of my musings and music. Every Sunday, you will get to tune in, and you can even leave me an audio message here, which may end up on a future show. To learn more about me and my music, you can go to my website, I'm over on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all the streaming platforms and more. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's see. Okay. Hello and welcome to Sunday Song and Rumination Radio. I am your host, Alana Lewandowski. Um, Today, I'm going to delve a little bit into revealing a little bit more of how we have chosen to live and why. And from the outset, I would like to call out in myself, um, I think that um, any of us who grew up in a... um, any kind of fundamentalist um, church or religious setting, um, we often don't realize how we transfer our fundamentalism onto something else. Um, In the progressive Christian scene, and I understand why, um, often it's fundamentalism about being anti-fundamentalist. And uh, and for me, I'd just like to say that the danger could be um, that... I could be fundamentalist about uh, how about our lifestyle and how we live, but one thing that I one little clause that kind of helps is that we've decided and chosen, in so far as we are able, to be locavores, so to eat locally, to grow our own food, to serve locally, to um, participate in um, creating resiliency. Um, with our local food bank so that um, it, it has a food security hub. Um, and uh, if the supply chain, uh, which is deeply top heavy um, and super vulnerable beyond your imagination, were to ever, um, you know, have a glitch that, uh, that the most vulnerable people uh, who need food, just like everyone else, um, would have food uh, because it is the food bank is supported locally. Um, so that's something that we do. But I just wanted to say from the outset that I don't want to hold any of this way of being in a fundamentalist manner. Um, because uh, it is a locavore, one of the sort of ways that uh, it doesn't get to be fundamentalist is that no matter where you are in the world, you're local. And so that ought to look incredibly, incredibly diverse um, and not centralized. And that is one of the reasons, another reasons uh, why we do it. Um, and uh, the, uh, the way I kind of got here is when I was a long time ago, 20 years ago, I was very young and I was backpacking across Europe, um, hitchhiking across Germany, and I actually ended up in Turkey um, working for some people and got to really observe 
how uh, Western modernization was infiltrating into, uh, into the rest of the world as though it was the best and the only way to be and live. And um, I was really struck, actually, when I got to the Czech Republic and was walking the cobblestone city center um, and how um, basically I couldn't find a local expression. It was Beta Shoes, American Express, McDonald's. Um, so, you know, it was a post-communist country by about a decade at the time. And, um, and the multinationals, had, which had won out in the Cold War, um, had just moved right in. And the local people were looking for a way to express themselves, um, but didn't even get a chance to come up for air. And um, I was really hit by that. And also, I remember walking the streets of Paris, and there was a five-story gold-plated architectural wonder that had become a McDonald's, and how many teenagers were, were hanging out there. It really hit me hard, actually, at how um, centralized uh, this sort of, you know, not very interesting expression was just infiltrating the planet. Um, so that's kind of how I ended up um, ended up here. I came home and um, started to get into activism um, to try and affect um, bills that were passing that were being a little too cooperative with these corporations who became above the law around the world and still are. And that's something I want to talk about a little bit before I get into the kind of homestead that we have here that's uh, like our ecosystem-based um, space that we participate in. Um, I'm wondering, this is something I'm wondering. Um, this week I was really um, grieving, actually, about... Um, certain aspects of the U.S. presidential address. Um, particularly, I am uh, in deep research for next year's album, and I'm bearing witness in all that I am researching on um, how we've been in a race that we can't get out of for a really long time. Um, and we can go back, say, we'll just start with, um, you know, colonization and how initially um, indigenous people and people like on that particular place were, were assimilated into working on behalf of, uh, of the kings who wanted to colonize. And then, um, and so they had practice on their own soil first at colonizing, um, in, in Spain, I remember uh, something, something you have to remember about me is that I, I toured for 10 years, um, particularly in Europe and the United States and Canada. And I remember performing a show in um, Bilbao, Spain, which is Basque country. And the Basque people have their own language, which is not associated with uh, Germanic roots. It's an indigenous language. And they see themselves as indigenous people and um, have been very mistreated in Spain. Um, Hitler was allowed to test bombs on villages there. And they were also um, boaters and whalers and were assimilated 
um, into Christopher Columbus' quest for the quote-unquote new world. And um, I was really struck, again, as I traveled um, by um, how Europe has a history of Indigenous peoples and how um, they were colonized in order to um, be of service to this race. Um, initially, it was, you know, King Edward Longshanks um, colonized Scotland and Ireland and Wales and Cornwall and, um, and was basically, that's why you see all of those big castles over there um, because they were like essentially his, uh, the, it was like, it was a way for, um, for him to have a place, um, to have people situated so that the, um, indigenous Welsh or, or Corn, Cornish, um, when they tried to rise up, they, they came against great barriers and, um, food was kept from them, etc. So all of these practices then moved across the water as, as they ended up in this race toward, uh, the quote unquote new world. And, um, very disturbing things I'm reading about, uh, the account of, um, uh, the West, what happened in the Indies and, um, and then, you know, just moving through into what happened here in Canada and the United States and how that turned into, um, uh, like this colonizing race then turned into, um, uh, basically establishing what it, what our nations look like here, um, ignoring, um, ignoring the stain of, of, um, stole of stealing land, um, the land on which I plant my seeds and, um, and also, uh, then moving into the world wars and the binary of kill or be killed technology, um, that's where a lot of our technology is rooted in these, in this race. And, um, and it really has these, I would say it reverberates with that, um, in the gaming world, in so much of what we do, um, and, and are, but not truly are. Um, and so I've been really, uh, disturbed and heartbroken at the announcement that we are now beyond the Cold War and, and you know, beyond now the, the settling of um, globalization and multinational corporations being above the law. And now it is announced that the United States is in a technocratic race with China. And, um, and I am, you know, feeling it. I'm feeling the, what that means. And I'm sensing the ramifications of it as someone who can kind of see, um, see how, uh, it might, it will not serve humanity and, um, ecology. So what I'm wondering is if my listeners can hold a wide enough sphere to hear me say something. Um, so, I'm not an anti-masker and I'm not an anti-vaxxer and I don't believe in these conspiracies that are floating around um, about Bill Gates and the pandemic. However, I have not, I have chosen also not to mock the people who believe that. 
Um, I don't think that it's constructive, and I don't think that belittling the people who believe that um, is very helpful. Um, and also, perhaps in their way of seeing things, they have a, an intuition that's a little bit off, but, uh, but also um, they want to call some things out. Um, at exactly this time uh, in history, um, Bill Gates, among others, um, including Elon Musk, have become the world's, well, Bill Gates is, um, the, the, he owns more land um, than any other human being in the history of the planet and then any, uh, than anyone else in the world. Not only that, but there's a handful of, not just the 1%, we're talking the top eight people in the world, own more land now um, than all indigenous stewarded land across this entire planet. And that's deeply unsettling to me because uh, I am someone who um, spends time on a very small patch of land who pours her heart and soul um, into this space and sees the entire thing, the entirety of it is, as a life force um, that is sacred and can interconnect it. And robots can't do that. Um, that's why I've never seen, I don't, I don't buy into human beings um, being a cancer. Um, I think we are capable of creating Frankensteins, um, sort of systems that become more powerful than we um, originally thought, but we're so curious that we create them and then um, suffer the ramifications of them. Um, here in Canada, we have a tremendous elder scientist named David Suzuki, who for years has been saying um, there is a hubris and an arrogance in the science world, particularly when it comes to food tech um, and uh, modifying trees and nature and, and you know, messing with nature um, that uh, is not prepared to... Um, to be held accountable for the ramifications into the future. And so we know that um, this land is being bought up and we know that the money is being put into technocracy. And we know that, um, it, that, that also includes synthetic food um, that, will be, um, that will be engineered by human beings. And... Um, uh, Vandana Shiva is someone that I followed for a long time, um, but my sister has been reading her book, Oneness Versus the 1% recently, and we were chatting last night, and um, and she uh, makes no bones about picking a bone with Bill Gates. Um, she is a warrior for the peasant farmer movement in India and um, has seen the devastation of Bill Gates and others coming into these communities with this idea of quote unquote feeding the world through a centralized fashion and rather than a localized fashion and um, initially giving these people free seeds um, that are uh, can only have this kind of input which is based the input is made by the same company and the pesticides are made by the same company 
And so the soil and the seeds that had been saved for 10,000 years um, and the wisdom uh, of these people um, was like basically wiped out um, overnight and um, and it was a f- it has been a failed project, and over three hundred thousand peasant farmers have taken their lives in the fallout of this, and that's just part of the fallout. The other fallout is the local diversity and expression and food security itself. And um, the same thing is being done by Bill Gates in Africa, and and by others, and. Um, and in the locations where um, where this has been done, thirty um, percent less food is growing there, and so there's thirty percent more hunger, and um, and then the soil doesn't have time to regenerate, and and they're locked in um, to contractual agreements by which they are not allowed to use their old seeds anymore. Same thing goes for India. But in the meantime, Vandana Shiva is saying that um, that the wisdom of of these people who know um, ten, carry ten thousand years worth of wisdom, that wisdom and knowledge has been mined by these same people um, to create a super seed um, that is human made um, and is messed with. Um, by by humans and technology, and so um, we are. Uh, you know, when the president says that we will see more technological change in the next ten years than ever before in history, um, certainly maybe we can become a disease-free um, world. Uh, but uh, if we are to look at what technocracy has done so far in terms of food, um, we have failed. This has uh, this has already started to fail, and health is also a part of the fallout. So, um, that's one of the other reasons why we've chosen to be uh, local eaters and um, to serve locally, is because. Um, that you know that, and I haven't even gotten into how um, uh, into trade, and how um, a lot of because of subsidies, um, and we're talking oil and gas subsidies, and also um, multinational um, food subsidies. Um, you know, a, a pound of butter in a store that has palm oil in it, grown um, genetically modified palm oil from grown in key line monoculture systems um, in, you know, Indonesia or the Philippines um, is in your pound of butter, your average pound of butter. And even though you're getting it for $4, your tax dollars have subsidized it by at least 8 or $9. Um, and that doesn't even include the oil and gas of the uh, of the the shipping that is involved, and those multinationals also don't have to account for their emissions once they leave the shoreline. So um, uh, this is uh, this is something very dear to my heart, and I don't talk a lot about it, um, but it all comes from um, my 
the fact that I'm a Christic creature <laughs> and the fact that when uh, I'm, a, I'm deeply informed by, uh, by the place in which we live, this little ecosystem that in which everybody gets to participate and, um, and thrive and be well. Um, so, so that, so that really informs what I do. And, um, so I'm going to just say that I would like to be able to live in a world where I can call out someone for, um, and be suspicious of their actions and their intentions. And even if their intentions are good, I don't think that one person should ever have that much power, um, ever. And, um, and that the more people are expressing themselves locally, which is also happening. Um, Helena Norberg Hodge has written a beautiful book called, um, Local is Our Future. And she also has an amazing PDF that was an initial, um, introduction to her work aside from her amazing documentaries. Um, she says that she, because she is in the position she is, um, she gets to see how many millions of local expressions are happening alongside this whole other narrative that I've just described to you. And so, um, so one recommendation or, or request that I have, um, is that, um, we may have different ways of eating, um, and food is such a, an emotional, um, important subject that's dear to all of our hearts more than we realize because we are vulnerable. Hum we are vulnerable. We have to eat. Um, so uh, one, one request that I would have is that rather than um, all of us little peons fighting with each other about how, the how to eat, that we start looking at the ways in which our food is grown and that we consider um, how far the food had to travel in order for it to get into our mouths and who suffered along the way as well. Like what other creatures suffered, what other humans suffered, um, and were in horrific conditions along the way. Um, a perfect example, there's two actually examples. We can use um, factory farms and it's like um, a complete no-brainer, but... Um, the almond and cashew groves grown in California and Arizona, if you've ever driven past them, you'll see these pumps and it, um, they look like oil pumps, but they're actually taps that are driven deep into the ground, um, that are tapping, um, non-renewable aquifers. And they're on the third and fourth ones now irrigating, um, uh, almond and cashew groves and mono crops, uh, particularly fruit like raspberries um, that are grown in these key line mono crop systems that have zero, zero ecosystem life to them. There's no interaction um, um, like animals, like wild, little, little wild animals don't get to live there. So by the millions of acres, all these mono crops that are grown to make plant-based food um, make, they are not, uh, no longer a habitat, um, the way it is done. They're no longer a habitat for, um, diverse life to exist. And, um, and so a another example is, 
um, that there are activists that are um, speaking out on behalf of our monarch butterfly population because of key line uh, monogroves of, of avocados because of the high demand for avocados right now and as, a, as a, an essential fat um, for, for our needs. And, um, and so there are actually activists being killed, murdered, um, that, are, that are defending the monarch butterfly population who have been desperately affected by these huge multinationals deciding that, you know, wherever the money is. So if there's a huge uh, new demand for plant-based food, there's nothing wrong for plant with plant-based food um, as an idea or as a practice, but there certainly is if you get it, if the if um, you know deregulated corporations get a hold of it and um, take it in in and um, cause displacement of human beings and other beings um, of of ecosystems. And remember, another thing that just really burns me is that. Um, we're sort of connected to what's called the Beyond Organic Movement. And basically, um, organic, um, you can be certified organic very, very quickly if you clear-cut forest because that, that soil is organic. And because of the practices of monoculture where the soil over time, even if you're growing organically, um, over time, the soil loses its life. Remember, I'm talking about like uh, a healthy hand, handful of soil has billions of characters interacting with each other. Um, and uh, I believe are, are incarnate, um, animated with the Christic presence, which is what I call it. And, um, and so, um, so we really need to start, um, you know, rather than fighting about the way in which we are eating, I would love to see a point where we can respect each other if we're um, looking at not, um, maybe not supporting these huge uh, corporations so much, but um, considering how we might participate locally, um, what's grown around us. And then um, over time, if we were to actually all really start considering doing that, um, there could be a support system in place <clears throat> for um, avocados to be grown in a way that's sustainable, um, and the people who are picking them are not um, are not being treated poorly, and it doesn't become this life or death, kill or be killed situation. Um, because of of that of the needs for survival, so um, and again, obviously, I I could pick on the factory farms and the clear cutting of the Amazon for beef, um, as well. That's already obvious. What's not as obvious is um, how um, you know coconut groves in the Philippines <laughs> and, and the trade that and how much all of this is subsidized and how, you know, a million tons of potatoes get shipped out of America and then a million tons grown elsewhere get shipped back in and all of the oil and gas and, um, and the, 
the huge machinery uh, that it took to do all of that um, is subsidized. And so it's a really top-heavy system, and, um, and we've chosen insofar as we are able um, to uh, sound a little tender trumpet for, um, for the local movement and to, um, to be in service to it. And uh, yeah, I wanted to share that with all of you. And um, it's really kind of a vulnerable thing for me to do because I've um, done a little bit of that a couple of years ago and lost listeners um, who um, were very disappointed in me for having animals as a part of this this precious, precious ecosystem that we, we run here um, collectively. So... I want to play a song that came to me here on this land, um, and it's a—it's actually kind of a Christmas Advent Christmas song, probably a Christmassy song, but it's a strange Christmas song. <laughs> Sisters of the flocks we watch tonight. The breath for their mouths is the breath for our mouths, and the grasses they eat grow from what has died. Fear 
Well, that's it for this week's Sunday Song and Rumination radio show. I'm your host, Alana Lewandowski. Be sure to subscribe to this, give it a review, and most importantly, please send me an audio message. I would love to hear from you. I'm sure that your words could be more profound than my own, so your message may end up on a future episode. Until then, I'm signing off in the deep peace.